0: This is The Shorts, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a Duct Tape Than Beer production, with support from New Belgium Brewing, Kuat Racks, and Patagonia. The kid looked about 16. He was shouldering a large backpack, the kind that's probably six pounds when empty the same kind I ditched a month into our trip when I realized that it sometimes pays to be a weight weenie. He had a second pack as well, a school book bag strapped to his shoulders in the opposite direction. It hung across his chest like an awkward pregnancy. My boyfriend, Josh, and I passed him on the trail, hiking in the opposite direction. We exchanged the usual greetings, nice day, where are you going? To which he replied, I'm going to climb Mount Whitney. As the kid walked, his sleeping pad swung from his larger pack and bounced against the backs of his knees. His smile was all enthusiasm, and he moved up the trail away from us with the confidence of a person who doesn't have a mirror and doesn't need one. Ahead of him lay 190 or so miles, nine passes ranging from 10 to 13,000 feet in elevation, and the 14,505-foot Whitney itself. It was June of 2009, and Josh and I were making our way north through Yosemite National Park. We were through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, and had covered 900 miles so far. The distance had shaped us both mentally and physically. We were strong and sleek, smug and young, dirty, and always hungry. Hungry for more food, and hungry to see more of the West. It was becoming easier to hike 20-plus miles a day, and it felt natural to go to sleep in a tent every night. Despite this, I wasn't so different from the kid with the two backpacks. And if you had seen me six years ago, you probably wouldn't have that much of my chances, either. For me, it began with a softshell cooler, a MacGyver-like trust in the magical properties of duct tape, and a tent-for-sale ad in the classifieds. When I moved to Scotland in 2003, I had never been backpacking, but I had been camping, and I loved to walk. It was a transition period in my life. My job near Edinburgh was less important than the fact that it allowed me to live somewhere entirely new. The work contract was for seven months, and I had allowed myself this length of time to make a decision about my education. Should I take my art degree and move out into the working world? or should I return to school and pursue a different course of study? None of these big life questions were weighing on my mind when I wandered into the town of Dunbar one sunny day. I was out for a weekend walk, and right then, I wanted to buy a cheese roll. As I roamed the shop fronts, I was surprised to discover a museum dedicated to the memory of John Muir. Having grown up in the American West, I did know who Muir was. One of America's most loved naturalist writers, the man who founded the Sierra Club, and the leading driver behind the creation of California's Yosemite National Park. Dunbar was his birthplace, and it was the place he spent the first 11 years of his life. As I left the little town and its museum, I felt as though I was not so far away from home after all. Sometime after my Dunbar hike, I was surfing the internet and found a link to the John Muir Trust. The JMT does conservation work on a number of properties throughout Scotland. Poking around the site, I was excited to see a list of conservation work parties and a call for volunteers. What fun, I thought! I signed up for my first backpacking trip, a mountain ringlet butterfly monitoring expedition to Glen Nevis, and I started searching the classified ads for outdoor gear. My new tent had no rainfly, but I had gotten such a good deal on the price that I didn't mind. After considering the problem, I gathered together several lengths of string, a roll of duct tape, and some large heavy-duty plastic garbage sacks, taping sacks together until I had a square of plastic big enough to drape over my tent. I attached one string to each corner of the plastic square. The strings could be tied to the poles at the tent corners, creating a rainfly. Looking down at my work, I felt very thrifty. When the volunteer work party weekend finally came around, I discovered to my dismay that my food, clothing, and other gear did not fit into my new pack like I'd previously assumed it would. The biggest problem was my sleeping bag, also a purchase from the classified ads. It was a fluffy cotton cylinder with a girth similar to my own and a height of about two feet. It had been designed for extra house guests not for backpackers. I shoved the sleeping bag into my backpack anyway. I was able to fit a few other things in the pack around it, but not my food. Thinking quickly, I threw the food into a softshell cooler. Time to go. An elderly couple gave me a lift to the trailhead. We arrived to pouring rain—not drizzling, but pouring. Since everybody else seemed to think this was fine, I decided to pretend that I thought so too. I pulled my poncho out of my pack and geared up. In retrospect, I know how strange a sight I must have been—the large backpack, the cooler slung over my shoulder that bumped my thigh as I walked, and my poncho, flapping around in the wind and making me look like a giant green bat. At the time, I could only pull my poncho tighter, gasp for breath, and attempt to keep up with my white-haired hosts. I was not in shape for this. In part due to my slow pace, we arrived at the group campsite just in time to pitch our tents before dark. Though it was a relief to be done with the hill climb, I was beginning to doubt the soundness of my gear and planning. I set up my tent as rapidly as possible, trying to keep my things dry. The attempt was not very successful. Also, my newly erected tent was listing at an odd angle, looking like it was about to cave in. I crawled inside and sat on my soggy sleeping bag. Eating potato chips by the glow of a handheld flashlight, I listened to the increasingly violent flapping of my rainfly coming apart at its duct tape seams. Sandy Maxwell, our trip leader, was making his way around the tents to check on new arrivals, just as my own shelter was beginning to disintegrate. I don't remember what I said when he reached me, but I suppose my situation didn't need much explanation. Sandy told me that there was another empty tent, left by a couple who had arrived earlier in the day. They had discovered a rip in their rainfly soon enough to retreat back down the mountain. Both to my relief and extreme embarrassment, Sandy offered me the use of his tent and sleeping bag. He slept in the ripped tent and, by all accounts, had a very frigid night. In the morning, the sky was a steely shade of gray, but it was no longer raining. Around our camp circle, the mountain was really visible for the first time. Ephemeral waterfalls were streaming down the rock faces, looking like silver threads. I found Sandy sitting on the ground, cooking breakfast meat on a camp stove you want to stay for the rest of the weekend, he asked me. I looked over at the tent I had packed up the mountain. It was sitting lopsided on the turf, plastic garbage sacks dangling here and there from the tent poles. I'm obviously not prepared for this trip, I said. That's not what I asked, said Sandy. Do you want to stay? The image of my little yellow room in the shared flat seemed somehow dull next to this bleak monochrome landscape. That was a place I knew this place was something different. I swallowed my embarrassment, and the words came out. Yes, I do. So, we'll make it work, he replied. The weather remained cold and gray that first day, and there weren't any butterflies out, so our group went on a hike. One man talked about the geology of the mountain. A retired biology teacher pointed out the various plants. I felt as though I'd walked into an empty room and suddenly discovered it to be full of people and activity. On Sunday it was warm, and the sky was the color of a bluebird's back. It was perfect for butterfly monitoring, and we saw hundreds of mountain ringlets that day. My trip to Glen Nevis did not, on its own, change the course of my entire future, but something in the attitude of the volunteers I met that weekend stayed with me. These were people who chose to spend their free time wandering around mountainsides in the freezing rain. They were able to look at a landscape and see not just pretty pictures, but stories. Hiking into John Muir's Yosemite six years later, I could look around and recognize the faces of familiar plants, could say something about why this one grew over here but not over there. As I walked, I also looked at the people we met on the trail. It was the backpackers I liked to watch best, the families made me smile. The little kids were dressed in their REI best and looked like small versions of their parents. They were learning the rules early. At the opposite end of the spectrum was the teenager with the ridiculous backpacks aiming for Mount Whitney. When Josh and I passed him on the trail, I could have said something to him about his gear but I didn't. There's another kind of education in life, the kind that involves stepping out alone into the big wide world with nothing more than a load of untested ideas and a desire for adventure. Good luck, I called to the kid as he hiked away from us. He would figure it out for himself. My name is Wendy Irwin, and this is my short.
1: Wendy and her husband Josh now live in southern Idaho. They're working on their master's thesis and planning their next big trip, backpacking in Siberia. Music today by Manuel de Costa, Bradley Carter, and the Maybe Sometimes. Some music provided by Mevio's Music Alley. Support for the Diaries comes from you. Thanks to the folks who have stepped up and pledged to keep the Dirtbag Diaries growing. Want to find out what you can do, too, to help? Listen to the Pledge podcast or click the Pledge button on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Every little bit helps. The Diaries would not be possible without New Belgium Brewing, who encourages you to follow your folly. Their summer seasonal roly Bully is on shelves now. Find out where at newbelgium.com. With aluminum construction and sleek design, Kuat Racks is designing bike racks for you, their fellow riders. And they're supporting the Diaries. Thanks, Kuat. The Diaries would not be possible without the good people at Patagonia. There's a couple new options for listening to the Diaries. You can find us on Stitcher and on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. I'm Fitzgehall, and you've been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries.